We Are by John Batiste just won the Grammy for Album of the Year. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, that's Connor, and we are, we are, we are, we are your hosts today. I see what you did there. I, yeah, I made a joke. I made a we are joke. I'm excited for this episode. We're doing something different that we've never done before this week because this podcast has never coexisted with the Grammy Awards until now. This week, we're talking about the album that just won the Album of the Year Grammy. And from what I've gathered... It's not the one you expected. It's not the one I expected. We'll talk about some of the other albums in the category, but this one did surprise me a little bit. Uh, after listening to it pretty constantly on repeat since the Grammys, I, t- I think it's definitely a deserving album, but it definitely was a surprise. And that album is We Are by John Batiste. Who did you think was going to win? I had a couple of guesses. I wasn't 100% sure. I hadn't listened to all of them, actually, if you could believe that. I don't, actually. <laughs> well, it's true. I had a couple of bets. I, I thought Olivia Rodrigo would perform pretty well, and she did. She she won a couple Grammys of her own, three, I think. But John Batiste, he was a big winner at the Grammys. And we'll get into it as we go. So let's, without further ado. Let's go. He was born in Louisiana in 1986, and he's been making music since 1998. He released his debut album at 17 years old. Pretty impressive. And he actually attended the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts with Trombone Shorty, a pretty well-known contemporary jazz horn player. And you'll notice, you probably already have noticed, his prominent feature on the song Boyhood. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So they actually know each other. They go back. As a child, Batiste developed a lot of his musical skills by transcribing video game music from games like Sonic the Hedgehog and Final Fantasy. So I thought that was a really cool fact. We haven't had any artists that have done that to my knowledge yet. Very cool. By the age of 20, he played his first performance in the renowned Royal... Good grief. I looked up how to pronounce this word and I forgot it. The Royal Concertgebouw in Amsterdam. And he spent some time hosting workshops and teaching underprivileged communities in the Netherlands. The other thing that's unique about John Batiste in comparison to some of the other artists we've done is he's more classically trained. He's a Juilliard graduate and he's played Carnegie Hall. He started his band called Stay Human with his Juilliard classmates. The name Stay Human is a reference to how live music gives people a chance to interact amidst the quote-unquote plug-in, tune-out culture of today. Music is a way to help people stay human. And the band really exemplifies this like mission, this vision. They have impromptu street performances, which they call love. Of riots where everybody comes out and has a good time but a lot of his primary musical ventures since 2015 have included his tenure as part of the house band on the late show with Stephen colbert which is a gig that's lasted for seven years and over 1200 episodes and in that capacity he's had the chance to play alongside artists like billy joel nas john legend and so many more and he's had a lot of success too as far as awards and accolades go. Outside of the Grammys, he made Forbes 30 Under 30 musician list in 2016. He's got the American Jazz Museum Lifetime Achievement Award. He's got some honorary degrees. And then prior to this year, he also still had three Grammy nominations. This year, though, at the 64th Grammy Awards, he was nominated for 11 Grammys. And he won five of them, including, of course, Album of the Year, which makes him this year's biggest winner. Does it? Yeah, yeah, he was the biggest winner 
with 11 nominations and five wins. After the Grammys, he gave a, a good little interview and he gave a quote and he said, music is more than entertainment for me. It's a spiritual practice. I think, you know, that this album really shines that quality through it. Another, you might not know this, another fun series of awards that he's bagged came in 2020 for his work on the, the soundtrack for Disney Pixar's movie Soul alongside Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross from the band Nine Inch Nails. Oh, that's a great movie. It is a great movie, isn't it? And it's a movie with a great soundtrack, by the way. Very, like, jazzy. I mean, as you would expect. That film earned him a Golden Globe, a Critics' Choice Award, and an Oscar for Best Original Score. And if you can believe it, Batiste is only the second black composer to earn that Oscar, aside from Herbie Hancock, in 1987. So he's making moves hmm. in the music and film industries and the late night TV industry. This week, we're focusing on We Are, his most recent album. He's released eight studio albums in total, and uh, this one came out on March 19th, 2021. So we've just passed his first birthday. Happy birthday to We Are. As far as genre goes, it's it's kind of jazz, contemporary R&B. Uh, Batiste himself calls it a representation of genreless music that's just about the story. And he says it's a culmination of his life up to this point. And I think that's accurate. I, I know it leans heavily on certain genres more than others but there are so many different bits and pieces of of influences plugged into this album and it for me made it really engaging to listen to we are peaked at number 86 on the billboard 200 in the u.s and made it up to 47 on the top r&b and hip-hop albums chart and uh, i know we brought it up earlier let me tell you all the records that we are surpassed to win the grammy for album of the year. The other nominees were Love for Sale by Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga, Justice by Justin Bieber, Planet Her by Doja Cat, Happier Than Ever by Billie Eilish, Back of My Mind by Her, Montero by Lil Nas X, Sour by Olivia Rodrigo, Evermore by Taylor Swift, and of course Donda by this podcast's favorite, Kanye West. Hey Kanye. Take notes. But that's that's a good amount of background info about Batiste and his musical career and his band and his record-breaking year at the Grammys. Uh, let's uh, throw it on over to everybody's favorite pathological liar and see what he's come up with for this week. Let's do it. Let's do it indeed. Hey, it's me. It's you. The mixtape. Uh. That's right. Welcome back to the show. They gave me a lot of time on this one. <laughs> no, we had to do a quick turnaround. The Grammys actually got pushed back. They were supposed to be a couple months ago. And uh, with COVID and stuff, they didn't feel comfortable hosting this. So they postponed the, the date of the Grammys. And we are recording this episode with a remarkably short turnaround time to put it out. So you didn't have a lot of time to find facts. But I was still able to scrounge up some great facts and spins about John Batiste. I'm excited. I, I honestly, I'm captivated by the, the album and the artist have both captivated me on this one. So I'm very excited to hear more about him whether it's true or not if mostly if it's true tell me the true things but i bet you've got some good spins it's interesting i don't have any super crazy ramp ups this week i'm, I'm trying to figure out the best order to go in interesting like no, there's no there's no like drumming in a gorilla suit wild you know there's nothing that wild like okay yeah yeah let's start here let's start with he has been in a band with Adam Driver. Adam Driver? Wow, good soup. Okay, Adam Driver is the actor that plays Kylo Ren in Star Wars, among other things. Does Adam Driver play instruments or sing? Uh, he does both. Really? I had no idea. What's he play? Drums. Okay, how long has he been drumming? Uh, as a hobby since college. Wow, okay. So how did he get connected with Batiste? Through college. Where did Adam Driver go to college i guess is a good question he went to college with john batiste thank you yeah 
thank you. Okay. Uh, you mentioned he went to Juilliard uh, for music. I did. And Adam Driver went to Juilliard for acting. Okay. I can believe that. And how did their paths cross? They just, they ran in the same circles. Uh, they, they became friends and eventually played in a band together. How long were they in the band? Was it, it wasn't Stay Human. No, no. It was shortly before Stay Human. Oh, this is tough. Um, I think I'm going to say that this one is a spin. This one's a spin. Yeah, this one's a Kylo spin. I hate that. <laughs> My thought process is, is maybe they both went to Juilliard, which is what inspired you to make this fact. But he already, Stay Human is already his Juilliard classmates. And also, I, I can't confirm that Adam Driver does, in fact, play the drums. So uh, I, I just, I'm leaning towards spin out of an abundance of caution. This is a spin. You've pre- you pretty much na- you, you pretty much nailed it. Uh, they both went to Juilliard. They both were friends and were in the same friend circles, but he did not join a band with them all right the abundant caution paid off my caution runneth over yeah uh yeah i thought that was cool they're actually they are good friends they've both when when adam driver's been on the stephen colbert show he's talked about his friendship with batiste that's really awesome who who knew i had no idea he's friends with a sith lord Funny enough, this is like this is the same. This episode comes out the same week that uh, the Star Wars Lego episode comes out. What a, what a fun little tie into that! Oh yeah, the new video game. And now in our Instagram post, we can say, "Come listen to us talk about Lego Kylo Ren." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> clickbait. Let's see. Let's ramp up from there to he wrote the music for a video game. Ooh, okay. I like that. As we've already mentioned, he transcribed music for, from video games. Which video game did he have the honor of working on? It's called Ape Out. Interesting. Okay, what's the video game about? It's like Donkey Kong? <clears throat> Ape Out is a beat-em-up game developed by Gabe Kazulo and published by Devolver Digital. The game was released for Microsoft Windows and Nintendo Switch on February 28th, 2019. What's the objective of the game? What do you do? It seems like you're pretty much, an, you're, you're a gorilla or some form of ape and you go around and you kick the crap out of people with guns. <laughs> a indie, it's a little indie game. Okay. It's a little indie game. Like, it seems like level based, like each level you have to kind of figure out how to take them all out. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to tell from some of these pictures exactly how it works. So what was his process for like making the soundtrack? Did he get the game and like, play through it or test demo it like i don't know how does one make a soundtrack for a game i have no idea okay i wish i knew maybe uh if some game developers would reach out to us about developing their soundtracks we'd know the process maybe we could send a pigeon to race to them (laughs) yeah he said he did say though that uh he was inspired from the music from street fighter 2 when working on this yeah this game okay that fits with an ape beat-em-up game i think think this is true i think this is a fact i think this is a fact because i don't know he's got a history of video game music under his belt and i think that'd be a fun thing to branch and try out it doesn't seem like it'd be too too terribly intensive you know with all of his other projects that he's got going on it'd be like a fun little side thing uh i think i'm gonna say yeah fact i'm gonna say uh spin oh man yeah okay See, I let the caution down. Yeah, the caution has dried up. It no longer, it no longer whatever you said earlier. Runneth over. My caution runneth dry. Yeah, he does get a lot of his inspiration musically from video games. Like He grew up analyzing video game music. He It spoke to him about how to create catchy rhythms that people want to hear over and over that won't become boring. Yeah. In a game like Street Fighter 2 where you're going to hear the same kind of instrumental run over and over and over, you don't want to be sick of it by the 10th or even 30th time you've heard it, you know? Or even 100th time, yeah. It's got to be something catchy. Okay, but that's a real game. But that is a real game. That is a real game, yeah. I looked up, 
I looked up indie games 2019 to find one that I thought smart. I didn't trust myself to come up with a convincing sounding indie video game. It would have been fun. You should have stolen some of your fake band names from the inner wave episode and tried to reuse one. See if I caught it. That would have been funny. I should do that in the future. Let's ramp up from that into... He is a certified scuba diver. Oh, that's cool. Well, he grew up in New Orleans, right? That's a city that's got a lot of water around it. Okay. Is he interested in diving and marine life or just like... Not really. Why does he scuba? It's just a hobby for him, something he does. When did he decide to get his scuba certification? When he was 10 years old. 10? Wow. Uh, The minimum age to get certified as a scuba diver is 10 years old, at which you earn your junior open water diver certification. What's that let you do? It's a pre, it's like an intermediary step towards earning your open water diver certification once you're older, which is like the ultimate goal. That's how you, that's the like real certification. That's being scuba certified. Yeah. Junior one or whatever. You're able to dive under the direct supervision of somebody who is certified up to a maximum depth of 12 meters which would be 40 feet and 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 why was he interested in this as a hobby again just because yeah no it's just always it's always been something he's been interested in it's something he went on to he went on to get his open water diver certification but it's not like he does it for any other reason than when he wants to go scuba diving you know he has it and he can go out and do it that was gonna be my next question was whether he pursued the official certification I think I'm going to go ahead and let the caution stay dried up in this diving fact. And I'm going to say this is a fact uh, again. Another fact. Well, you're saying it's a fact again. It would be the first fact for the episode. Well, yeah, yeah. Another answer of fact. Yes. And it's another answer. You're wrong. This is a spin. <laughs> oh, oh, three spins. I, tri- I triple spinned you. That's sad i thought that one seemed so like uh innocuous and and kind of fun you know yeah yeah it was both of those things but it was also false got one more for you okay and the one that i thought was the biggest ramp up he has an instrument named after him it okay so an individual instrument like you know stevie ray vaughn named his guitar lenny like that yeah yeah it's like that yeah, it's something like that. It's not like a brand of instrument. Who owns this instrument and what is its name, technically? It's a melodica. Oh man. Oh man, what a ramp. What what, what do you mean what a ramp? <laughs> what a good what a good ramp up fact. I did not expect you to say melodica. Of all the instruments you could have said, melodica was like not on my radar. Anyway, it's a melodica and it's owned by I guess the late show, I guess. Interesting. So uh, a melodica, for those of you who might not know, it's like a little piano with a tube on it, and you hold the piano in one hand, and you blow into the tube, and you make the key shapes, and it plays almost like a harmonica, but not. Yeah, it's like a harmonica and a mini keyboard combined. It's the keytar of harmonicas. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Batiste himself has coined the instrument the harmoniboard. Okay. Yeah, that's accurate. So did he play it on The Late Show? Yeah, it's an instrument he plays quite often on The Late Show. Oh, it's a regular thing. It's a regular thing for that, and it's just a regular thing for his love riots you talked about. He likes to take it with him out to his love riots. Oh, awesome. Did you tell me what it was named? I mean, it's it's named after him. It's called the Batiste. Oh, I, I just, I didn't know if they called it John. <laughs> this, I, I'm John, and this is my melodica, John. Yeah, it's called the Batiste, and it, hang, it, like, it like hangs above where they uh like where the band sits for the late show and then he gets he gets it down off the shelf or whatever when he wants to use it it like sits up there so if i were to like watch the the late show tonight i could see it Uh, yep assuming this is a true fact i am kind of assuming this is a true fact 
Although the melodica is kind of a kind of a jokey instrument sometimes, kind of a meme instrument, but I also believe someone with the musical chops of John Batiste could probably pull it off pretty well. And, I mean, that aside, it's also, it seems like a good recurring bit on a late night television show. Yeah. So I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna say fact yet again. <laughs> Going with fact yet again. Yeah, it's worked out well for me so far. Once again, this is a spin! No! Shoot! Dang it! <laughs> oh. The mixtape is back. Another perfect week. Got him with the four spins. Actually, no, you got the Adam Driver one. Never mind. <laughs> Let me take that enthusiasm back. <laughs> That's hilarious. You you even lied about winning. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I totally went four for four. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's totally what that's totally what happened. Yeah, I went four spins on you. You got the first one, but all three of the ones you guessed fact on were also spins. Were all spins. That's that's sad. Now, with the, when it comes to the to the melodica, he does play it quite often. He takes it to his love rights. He plays it a lot on the show. He just doesn't have one named after him, and it doesn't hang above him during the show. It's just not named after him. Dang! I knew that was ridiculous. Yeah, he does. He does play it a lot, though. He does play the mel- the melodica a lot. Oh, that was sneaky and deceptive. In an interview, it was on his list of must-have things when he travels. Well, I believe that it's such an easy thing to travel with all right well it's a loss but that was an interesting game it was a uh, it was a shutout loss i totally got uh-huh. you uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. that's the story i'm sticking with you just doubled down it's like very provably it's demonstrably false i i'm roommates with the guy who edits it i'm i'm hoping i can i can bribe him <laughs> yeah we'll see anyway uh have a great week and we'll see you next time for another exciting episode connor's pick in fact yes i get to go up against connor again and hopefully I don't give him another perfect week and get shut out. You might get two perfect weeks in a row. Well, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. All right. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye to the mixtaper. Welcome back, Connor. Hi. I can't believe you didn't tell any facts. I can't believe it either. The melodica one was mostly true. Oh, a couple of them were grounded in truth. Yeah, that's true. The only one that was really an outright lie was Scuba Diver. That's true. Let's talk about the album cover. The album art was created by Carla Cordova, an art director in Ecuador, and she used a mix of photography and digital painting to make the finished product. And then what that finished product is... It's just John Batiste in in a nice, it's actually spinet colored robes that he's got on. Yeah, maybe he's a fan. Maybe. Uh, hey, John Batiste, if you're listening, thanks for tuning in. John Batiste, if you want to be a sponsor of this episode, just let us know. Why? But yes, sure. Sponsor your own episode. I don't know. It's like Adopt a Highway, but for podcasts. He can clean it up. <laughs> but there's also, there's text on the cover. And the text on the cover reads, Dedicated to the dreamers, seers, griots, and truth tellers who refuse to let us fully descend into madness. Is that what that tiny text I can't read in the image I'm looking at says? Uh, yeah, that's what it says. And if you were curious, uh, a griot is defined by a Google search as a member of a class of traveling poets, musicians, and storytellers who maintain a tradition of oral history in parts of West Africa. So that's uh, that's the album cover. I think that's a really intriguing dedication to put right on the front of it. I think that if you can read it, like apparently you can't, I think it sets the stage for the album really well because this whole album is this big, long story as he tells us the the tale of his life. And ideally, he refuses to let us fully descend into madness as he does so. 
So let's get into it. Track one, we are. I'll be honest, I fired up track one and I was pretty much hooked right away with that chord progression and the choir. It's a great start to the record, I think. Yeah, we haven't really done true jazz. No, we haven't yet. We we can. Stevie, Stevie, I mean, I know, but I mean, this is, I think, the closest we've come. It is. Uh, like, Stevie Wonder's like one step removed, for, or like two steps removed from jazz, whereas this is one step removed from jazz. There's a lot of jazz in this, but it's not full jazz. Yeah, it's got a lot of heavy, very strong jazz influences. And, and Stevie Wonder had funk. Stevie Wonder was like yeah. funk jazz. I like that he features uh the St. Augustine High School marching ba- uh marching 100. Yeah. That's that's the marching band from the high school that he graduated from. Uh it actually I think it gives the the song a really raw, unpolished sound and like opens it up, you know. The whole first part of the song is like tight. It's very clean cut, produced well, and and then all of a sudden the band comes in and it just opens up a little wider. It's not as rigid, you know? Uh, actually, he said, uh, we, have, we have good John Batiste quotes for all these tracks, which is super exciting. He said, we are as the overture of the album. I wanted to have the marching band from my high school on this record because it's a historically black high school that has a lot of legendary alumni. I was in that high school band, and I graduated from that school. And uh, we are, the song, also features three or four generations of his family, he says. It includes his grandfather and his nephews. So that's really cool. I think it's awesome that he opens a personal album with a personal song that he's got so many personal ties to the people in it i think it's a strong opening track it is one of my favorite uh i guess chord i don't know just a moment where the instrumentals the vocals everything just comes together in this perfect harmony is on the word joy in the pre-chorus yeah it's perfect the way that they hit that also this is another i this i think is a great example of that video game music influence how he's you know like i said he said his goal is to be able to create beats and rhythms that you don't get bored of yeah and i think he pulls it off on this song with the we are we are we are we are the golden ones but up you know that does i'm usually you know me i'm usually pretty anti just repetitive line right uh-huh but it's the yeah i called it the we are anthem uh which is kind of what you said earlier as well is how he described the whole song but that chorus specifically it's like an anthem right because the like a whole chorus comes in to sing it with him and it's catchy i will say at the end of the song as the song is like fading out it goes on a little long i was waiting on it to fade out a little sooner but that's just because i could feel the song winding down and i was just like you're taking a little long to do that it wasn't that it was getting annoying or anything right i was just i was anticipating it wrapping up and it just went longer than i thought it would yeah no i love the way that we are we are we are it it syncopates it rubs up against the rhythm of the guitar and the drums it's on all the off beats and it gets really funky and i love the message of it you know we're the golden ones we're the chosen ones it's this kind of like unity and destiny and hope that he seems to believe in and profess so much so great opener if i'm telling the truth Uh, i see what you did there yeah the second track is tell the truth the pinocchio track it's not about lying no that's the opposite well no that was pinocchio's whole thing was like you know he's not allowed to lie he's got to always tell the truth or it's no script fair well batiste says we recorded it at the legendary sound city recording studios all of us were in the same room at the same time and it was done in one take oh wow yeah he has people on this song uh namely james gadson and bill withers who played on Jackson 5 records. So they're pretty good musicians, and they cranked out this track in just one go. He says, so the whole hook of the song, right, is 
tell the truth. Live how you live. When you do what you do, just tell the truth. And the basically, that's advice that his dad gave him when he was moving to Juilliard. He said, stay true to who he is. And then he said, no matter what you're looking for, no matter what you're looking to do, tell the truth. Uh, this is a song where they do the thing that, again, I've also been against, uh, where they do a lot of, I guess, speak singing, you know, or like it's sung in a way that it's almost like somebody's speaking it. There's some talk singing. With, I mean, it starts with a kid chanting. But you know, like the pre-chorus, like whether whether you're looking for love, like it's it's almost done in a talk singing way. Like there there is vocal notes happening, but I don't, the the vibe is talk singing. And again, I liked it. It's it's partially because I think it's such a storytelling song that that works well, and it's partially the way that they do produce his vocal. It's a little bit of fuzz and growl. It reminded me a ton of like like mid-70s funk soul, like Chicago or James Brown. And I think the horns, when they started in with the horn parts, that really... Oh, the horns are so freaking good. Yeah, it really boosted that vibe. I love the horns. The horns and the backup singers are really good. I like shout out to the backup singers on this one. A hundred percent. I mean, on this song and and throughout, <laughs> the song pops and grooves its way right along, and then it does this hard stop that is kind of jolting, but I kind of like it because, like, to be honest, there's I think no logical way to lower you down from tell the truth into cry. So the hard stop is kind of like ripping off the band aid. Track three is Cry, and I like Cry a lot. Ooh, it's just this weepy, wailey... I guess it's as close to a ballad of a song as you might get on this album if you're looking for ballads. Uh, John says, The loss of innocence is something that's not quantifiable. It's oftentimes something that we can't fully understand until generations later. The decisions we make collectively sometimes seep into our consciousness or our subconscious mind, and we don't know why we have this weight on our shoulders. You could be living your life every day, and then one day, you just feel this overwhelming weight and you don't understand where it comes from. I think that collectively, we all felt that in this past year with the pandemic and social unrest. So that's where he's coming from from this song. This this crying, it's just this like overwhelming weep, you know, that just hits you out of nowhere. This mournfulness. Cry actually won the Grammy for the Best American Roots song. So this song is a Grammy-winning track on a Grammy-winning album. This, you know, jazz and blues kind of go hand in hand right like oh they do they do they do they're like two sides of the same coin mm-hmm. uh and this uh this this song really it really brings in that blues vibe to it it really does i honestly i felt like the two chord intro felt like a bb king track okay uh, it had that same energy yeah i really like this one as the ballad as the resident ballad lover yeah resident ballad lover as uh as 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 um president of the spinet ballad club i can't believe it's taking you that long to make that one up spinet club department's been a little behind <laughs> the club department <laughs> how does it take us that long to make that up <laughs> <laughs> I love his falsetto in this song. I know sometimes you've been one to criticize falsetto, but I think it achieves a really interesting effect here with the weepy and the wailiness. It it really adds to that nature of the song. Again, I'm usually not one for the falsetto either, right? That's been something I've I've nagged about in the past. And it's so perfect on this song. It really is. <sighs> the chorus. This is my I think my favorite chorus on the album really it's it's up there it's definitely up there it makes me want to cry <laughs> see what I, do. I don't i don't but then he hits the falsetto cry 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 and it's great it really is and the bass is also phenomenal top notch all around cry is the whole package in terms of ballad songs yeah bluesy ballads that's got it all and then the next song is like a swing i need you yes it is very swingy and actually 
the parallel is pretty clear. John says, it's the same message as Cry, but it's the opposite. I Need You is black social music mixed in with a pop song. He says, it's like if you took the music that Little Richard or James Brown or my father and uncles would play in the Chitlin circuit in the 1940s. The type of dance like the Jitterbug and the Lindy Hop you would see in Harlem. He says, you mix that with contemporary pop and hip hop, and that's what you get with I Need You. And oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe I'm saying this. But I think we're back in identity crisis. Yeah. Oh boy. Because the hip hoppy thing that he does, where he goes like into a hip hoppy, fast talking rap section there. Yeah. I love that. It's so good. <laughs> I was so worried that you would hate it. It's just such an unexpected blend of swing and hip hop. It kind of just hit me out of nowhere when I was listening for the first time. It's a great way to take take the older style music that's classic and infuse it with modern day music it, it, it's a class act example of that it's seamless yeah and he's got such power behind his voice i actually i was digging around afterwards and i found a tiny desk concert of this right npr does their tiny desk shows and he performed this song and it was just as good live as it is on this recording i was so impressed he's such a good piano player and instrumentalist he's he's top notch and i love the ad libs in here too some of the stuff that he puts in after the the second verse just the woos and the yeahs and just you know the little interjections it's so nice it makes the song sound fun and lighthearted. Mm-hmm. i don't know it, i just thought it's such a refreshing take to hear a song that's so universally accessible, so technically skilled, and so musically complex all at once. I Need You felt like a, like kind of the whole package, too. Like, Cry was a whole package ballad. I Need You is like the whole package modern swing hip-hop fusion song. And together, they're... What's above whole? What are you, sorry, what do you mean, what's above whole? What are you well, talking <laughs> I was trying to figure out, like, if you took if you took two holes and you put them together, you doubled your wholeness. You have, I don't know. You just have two. But it's still like it, it's it's like it's like the math department would like a word. It, it, it's it's breaking my brain because you got two holes, you go together, but you end up with when you put them together, you end up with just one hole. You're adding but ending up with less hole. I think what you're gonna find is all these come together into a whole album. We need some yeah. We need some squirrels. We need some squirrels. I don't even know what you're talking about ah there we go we'll pretend i did that on purpose so you could segue the song uh-huh sure what you talking about is the next track and uh boy it starts off with the drums it's a kick butt drum part and uh, again what a talent for vocals and i guess you'd even call it rapping even though it kind of feels more like a chant on what you talk about Psst. just the, the rhythmic lyrics that he gets into Psst. Hey. Psst. what take notes kanye yeah i'm sure i'm sure he's taking notes what did you think about this you don't like rap i'm not a big fan of rap but if i i would take this over anything on i think kanye or uh, now i haven't listened to my beautiful dark twisted fantasy or coloring book in a while other than when they pop up on the spin it favorite song playlist Mm -hmm. but i think i'd take this over anything on those albums (laughs) interesting so it, it's still it's not a highlight for me on this album but yeah i think compared to the other rap songs we've done on this podcast it's definitely up there towards my favorite fair it is a fun song and on this one too the instrumental breakdown here more than anywhere else points right back to the video game transposition it sounds like an 8-bit video game at that at that breakdown And there's actually a really cool story behind that. When he was creating that bridge, that instrumental, he said, I had a vision of the way you come through this career as you become more and more successful, especially as a black entertainer in America. It's like going through a video game 
where every level you beat, you get to the next level and the boss is harder. He said he imagined himself jumping into the TV and running through different levels of the game. So that's where this interlude comes from, is that idea that he's running through life, leveling up in his career, just trying to get to the next level. It's cool. He says that he doesn't believe in genre, but he does call this song punk video game jazz rock. <laughs> I like it. I, I like it. It's a great song. And at the end, too, he plays with the rhythm even farther. It kind of gets all skippy at the end, and I love it. Like, they're almost polyrhythmic for a second. You know, uh, a polyrhythm is when two different rhythmical patterns are happening simultaneously, and you hear it a lot in jazz and classical music, like stuff that's just uh, more in that vein, other than the mainstream pop or country or rock and roll or whatever. Like, polyrhythm. It's cool and impressive the next track boyhood is a very strong contender for my favorite personally really uh-huh oh that's disappointing to hear is it well only because my top two by far that stand out the most is that's not one of them so i was hopeful that the one you'd pick would be one of them so i could pick the other one and end up with both of my top two well we can talk about it in final spin but i like boyhood a lot i think it's a great blend of nostalgia and a tribute to his hometown you know and ah wasn't that time special but it's also this outward projection of this is where i come from this is who i am now and here's why i think it's a neat intersection of those two things this one just doesn't do it for me I love the horn at the beginning. Yeah. But yeah, the hip-hop rappiness to the majority of the song just doesn't do it for me. The chorus saves it a little bit. Well, that's fair. I thought if there was a hope, if there was a chance that you would like this song, it would have to be because of Trombone Shorty at the end. Oh, well, yes. That's also I, uh, that's also a standout. The the brass is... It was just a blanket statement that the, the brass throughout the entire album is a highlight well john says that the sound of this song feels like what growing up felt like so that's that's why he framed it in this way in this yeah admittedly really like heavily leaning into hip-hop style like i guess that's just how he remembers growing up and and it's very vivid in its imagery you know from cornbread pig lips to like po'boys in the yard like like he gets gets in there he tells you all about the way it is and actually uh the person that he worked with on this song Jahan Sweet they went to school together and they lived in a dorm with each other and so he makes music for people like Drake now and that's what produced this collaboration very cool I also like what he does on the chorus where he's got uh low and high voices going on at once it's a really interesting effect and I love the airy piano behind the second verse too they they do a good job of just floating it in the background also We've got another reference to Satchmo, Louis Armstrong. Do you remember the first? Oh, I do, but I don't remember where. Oh, where was it? Stevie Wonder, Sir Duke. I was thinking it was Stevie Wonder. That just made too much sense. It did. And then he goes on through the song, down to the bridge, which I love the piano on the bridge. It's so good. I can still remember the mornings, you know, that part. Then he makes another reference to Zulu. Do you remember the first reference we had to Zulu? Again, yes, but I have... I oh uh oh it was uh, there was a song that the part of the in- opening was in the Zulu language it was um yes yes who did that Stevie Wonder <laughs> dang it <laughs> I'm singing of tomorrow it's the song translated through Zulu Spanish and then English that's right I I should get partial credit for even remembering the context of it though <laughs> I mean fair partial credit you could. Take those Monopoly bucks and spend them somewhere else. We should make a spin it Monopoly board. Spinopoly. Merch store coming soon. One last thought for this song before we move into Movement 11. Uh, I really love the lyric 
Far from home, but I represent. I thought I had so much time, I don't know where it went. But now that I'm grown, I know what it all meant. No place like New Orleans. That's just the, like, crux of the song right there. That sums it all up. And I like the way he sings it. it just, it's a, it's a very good song. In my opinion, I guess I'm a sucker for the nostalgia songs like that. But I think it holds up. You nostalgia sucker. I am. All day sucker. That's another Stevie Wonder reference. That's uh, that's also a Chitty Chitty Bang Bang reference. Not for me, it's not. Which I think I also made in the Stevie Wonder episode. <laughs> you did. Don't waste your pucker on some all day sucker. Anyway, movement 11. Woo! Instrumental! It's an instrumental. Man, it makes me want to do a classical album. Like, let's get some Mozart going on this podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Well, in the same way that Hank Williams predated the album era... Uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was also a little before the era of the vinyl album. We'll make it work. Uh, this is, I think, my favorite instrumental we've done on this podcast, too. Easy to see why. Yeah, it's that's clear. It's so good, and, and that classical training really shines through. You know, this song right here is what demonstrates to me that he is really, like, just deep in that education, the classical training, and that he can write a killer symphony, which... He's done, by the way. He's got a new symphony premiering soon, I think, if it hasn't already. Interesting. But, uh, yeah. John says, boyhood, movement, and adulthood is the spine of the record. He says, those three songs are a literal representation of my coming of age. When you get to boyhood, I'm telling you literally what it was like. And then movement 11 is my growth into an adult when I moved to New York at 17. Which, uh, the, the title, movement, is very clever. You know, it's a movement, like a bit of a symphony but it's also physically that movement as he traveled across the country why 11 i don't know like has he done 10 other movements maybe <laughs> i haven't looked into it and how many of them were of the bowel variety he's probably pooped more than 10 times i don't want to speak for him and it's also a little personal but he's probably pooped more than 10 times <laughs> can we get confirmation on that uh john can we get confirmation have you at least pooped 10 times no this is t- <laughs> can you ask him that on twitter please not at all it's a very specific question get the spinet reporting team out there to get on the rope line and you get answers to that question. No. Oh, okay. Fair enough. The next song, track eight, is Adulthood. Yes. That's a great, like, bass line at the beginning. It does. Yeah. Well, it's in, it's intentional, too. John says, the transition from movement is this rich, multi-layered, classical-esque kind of thing where all of a sudden you just mature. The first half of the album has these different things going on in terms of universal and communal. And then on the second half, it goes into this place of just the internal and the personal and so the the bit between movement and adulthood he says that's how it is when you're young and you've got fire you're figuring out who you are and you're looking at the world around you and people give you advice you hear all those things about your past you're trying to reconcile it all and then all of a sudden you're an adult so that's the transition that's the baseline that you get started in there is whoa you know we're here now and it starts out that way with the punchiness for the first two minutes and 10 seconds ish and then we jump into the hip-hop section gets a little more steeped in that i think they go together really really well and can we talk about certified poetry line i want to see your pretty face light up like the city in springtime i love that it's one of my favorite lines on the album it's tight are you trying to do that to get back at me for what i did the other week (laughs) on phil collins with the rolled up sleeve perhaps Uh uh-huh i sense a little tension there did it work yeah it worked i'm devastated Uh, good you're devastated right now i i I don't have much to say about adulthood because half of it is just that instrumental and i like it but i think this is a nice track it's it's well put together and it starts with that that laid-back chill part it just feels like the perfect way to ease out of the pseudo symphony of movement 11 what'd you think of mavis crisis over the identity crisis is over yeah why i uh i've 
never been a fan of little uh like inserts like this like 20 second snippets of phone conversations yeah other than kevin and barracuda that's legendary right yeah sure for the most part i don't care for those get them out this is included this is included um this track is is i I live with it because i don't i think it helps with the transition into the next song like if you had transitioned from the ending of adulthood into freedom it would have felt abrupt yeah it would have this is a nice palate cleanser so it's got that going for it but they could have maybe done a palate cleanser with some sort of interlude versus this another interlude right after movement i'm moving 11 on an interlude it's a full song it is yeah but it's just i would put an interlude would have just been another instrumental track in it. I don't know. It would have felt like a throwaway transitional piece. Sure, for tw- just a little 20-second riff. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's what this is. It feels like a throwaway transitional spoken piece. Well, this track is... You can't even call it a track. It's a track. It's not a song. It's 20 seconds. It doesn't even get... It's plays ca- uh, counted on Spotify. Whatever. <laughs> this section, then, is a recorded phone conversation with Mavis Staples. If you don't know, Mavis Staples uh, is pretty renowned in the r&b and soul communities uh she was born in 1939 and she performed with her family the staples singers her father was really close with martin luther king jr and so the band's music was really influential during the civil rights movement in the mid-60s mavis has performed with bob dylan the band prince george jones ray charles and many many more and uh i mean the inclusion of her voice on this album i think is a very personal decision right batiste I, it clearly like looks up to her as a music and civil rights icon, and uh, yeah, I, I think I'm okay with it in there because it feels like super intentional. You know, he says that it was one of those things that you just can't plan. Her saying this on the phone, Batiste says you can't plan it because if you try to plan it, it won't be the same. It was just a spur of the moment thing that he liked enough to include, and then we lean into freedom. What? a song! I love the, the percussion, the tempo, and freedom. It's all so good. Instrumentals great yes the chorus love it yeah don't care for the falsetto singing well i mean that's fair i have to ask you to uh for freedom i need to know did you hear it did you catch it this song is 12 bar blues oh it just it blew me away when i heard it because it was it was so like hidden the first and second times i listened to it but on the third or fourth time i started listening i was like this is this is the 12 bar blues progression that we've talked about so many times before and this is just proof that it can take any form. He says that this song is kind of like an Elvis song, right? Elvis starts dancing, he moves his body like that, and and it inspired people into this new era of freedom. And so that's what he was trying to do with this song. And Elvis did a lot of 12 bar blues songs. I just I like the parallel, you know? The the connections between that is is subtle, but it's cool. I really do like his falsetto though. I I mean, I know you have problems with it, but I like it. And I also still love the parts where he puts his whole power behind the higher vocals. I think both are great. And this song is another strong contender for my favorite. Uh, This is one that I would lean towards putting on the playlist. And the music video for Freedom actually took home a Grammy itself for Best Music Video. It's very good. It's a good music video. He, he, you know, dances all around. I have to look it up. It was the best music video of the year, according to the Academy. That's only because Drumming Gorilla came out back in like 2007. But that was the best that that was the best video on this podcast in the past year. It's up for debate. It's up for debate. We'll have to send it off. It was pretty great. Yeah, okay. It was 
it was a sight to see. So that's Freedom. The next track is Show Me The Way. That, this one has a fun little uh, intro, vocal intro, with like the doo-doo-doo-doos. Yeah. And this is just another example of his catchy chorus that he can do. Oh, easy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's nice. And uh, he actually says, you'll like this. He says, this is a beautiful song to play when you're cruising in the car with someone you care about or just cruising by yourself and doing your thing. This one has great lyrics as well in its verse. This is this is his version of Sir Duke, where Stevie Wonder talked about all of his influences and the music legends that were famous to him. Show Me The Way is where Batiste does that for himself. And he brings up Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday the Wu-Tang Clan, Stevie Wonder. And he says, hey, when I don't know what to do, these are the influences that I turn to. They can show me the way. I just don't care for the vocals on this one either. Like I said, I like the lyrics themselves, but the, again, the vocals for me don't do it. And actually the drums are a bit much on this one. Much? You've never been, you've never said the drums are much. I know, I know. It's just compared to the rest of the instrumentals, which are very floaty and background. And then you just got this, again, I don't know if it was just in my headset or what, but I think in a surround sound car setting, the drums would kind of fill out the rest of the song. But in my headset, it was just nothing but doom, 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 just in my, in my ears over top of the lyrics, over top of the instruments, just over top of everything. Maybe it's because everything else is so soft. Yeah. Yeah. It was like enough. I get it. You're, you have drums. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think this song is just so unlike any of the other songs on this record, which, I mean, Batiste really can do it all, a lot. And I think the fact that this isn't a singular album in one genre category is kind of a big, big part of why it won Album of the Year, because it doesn't hesitate to shift around, to throw something new at you and unexpected. I think that's cool. And this song is kind of emblematic of that. Sing. Uh, what song? Well, sing, sing, sing. Oh, everybody likes to sing. It's <laughs> a good try. <laughs> a for effort. This song. I mean, the chorus will pretty much tell you all it's about. On the verge of crying, I don't feel like trying, but instead. I'll sing. I think the whole idea of the song is very consistent with what we talked about earlier, right? The quote about how music is his way of expressing his own story, where like during the good times, during the bad times, when I'm uninspired or exhausted or going through it, I'll just sing. I'm going to make myself do it anyway, because either it will make me feel better or someone who needs to hear it will hear it, right? I like it. John says that sing is like the closing credits song because the album is like a movie. He says it's meant to be listened to like that. And then the last track is like the Avengers post credit scene that every movie has to have now. Kinda. He says when you don't have words to say and you just feel overwhelmed with emotion, just sing. You've really experienced the power of that through the course of the movie. So like this song is like the lesson that the album's been trying to teach us. It's the motto. It's the moral of the story. So for me with Sing, it's another ballad song, like kinda. Like the verses are ballads and then the chorus is like upbeat. I like the really soft intro and it's another really catchy chorus that's easy to groove to and get stuck in your head. So I, I have conflicting notes here. The verses take are too drawn out. It takes you too long to get to the catchy chorus. Fair. Both times. But at the same time, the catchy chorus is also too long for what exists for so like i'm saying the verses are too long and then i'm saying the chorus is too long because of how little verse there is like this two things like conflict <laughs> i understand so you want shorter ver you want quicker verses but longer verses uh, yeah i want i want the first to have more movement to it and i want more substance in the verse 
It's a lose-lose. Yeah, it's a lose-lose. It really is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a good song. I like it. And then we get another kind of interlude instrumental thing to end the album. Yeah, the post credit scene, as you called it, until... John Batiste will return. John Batiste says, This is a moment of celebration, but it's also undetermined. What are we going to do? Who are we? Until this or that happens, it's all a question. That's how I wanted to end the album. Because if you go back to the beginning in a loop, it'll keep feeding you. And he says it's constructed to be cyclical. So... I guess Sing is the closing credits, and then Until is supposed to be the thing that primes you back into the beginning. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Oh, wow, okay. That's a pretty apathetic reaction. But you only got to listen to it once. You couldn't go back to the start of the album when it was done. So maybe that effect was just lost on you. It's true. I also just wasn't expecting it in general to end the album. Being a whole minute and three seconds, I thought it was going to be an actual, like, just shorter, like, punchy song to kind of end it on. No, it was more of an easygoing evening. Yeah. But that takes us into final spin. And we're here. Yep. So let's 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 mix it up. I want to start with your top threes because Whoa, 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 whoa. We no no no. We can't be you're not the one with mix in their name. You don't get to mix it up. Well, I just wanted to start with your top threes so that I know what your picks for the playlist would be to see whether I agree with them or you can persuade me. You'd have it narrowed down to four, right? Because <laughs> I, I give you Four top, I give you my top three plus a comparable mention. So you know my two picks would be somewhere in that four. I'm just curious, though. What's your top three? All right, all right. I'll give you my top threes. My top threes in album order. We are. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to, I guess I'm not going to go in album order. I, I changed my mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so we got We Are. Then I'm going to say Cry is also up there Uh-huh. in the top three. I Need You is in the top three. Oh, wow. And then I'm still, spl- I'm split on my honorable mention for, it- it's between Tell the Truth and Movement 11. Wow. So you really love the first four tracks. <laughs> and uh, well, then- no, I, 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 I guess, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Yeah, yeah. First four tracks and then movement 11, yeah. Well, you've put me in a in a bind here because it sounds like if I were picking two for the playlist for myself, they'd be Boyhood and Freedom. And it looks like I'm only getting one of those. So we don't, yeah, we don't overlap at all. No, uh-huh. not at all. <laughs> That's unfortunate. I know. It's a tough decision, but I think I'll have to... If I can only take one of those two, I'll have to put Freedom on the playlist. That's the Grammy-winning song. That one is more representative of the album to me. Even though Boyhood is great and i think maybe more representative of john batiste as a person Mm -hmm. and his you know that nostalgia factor i'm gonna try and not let nostalgia bias blind me and freedom sounds like the way i'll go let's talk about scores the moment you've all been waiting for this is the grammy winning album of last year how does this random person on this podcast that i like score it well i'll tell you music i love all the musical influences he's got behind this he's classically trained for crying out loud the theory is impeccable all these songs are they they groove and they funk and they like it's just nice to hear such variation uh i don't think there are really too many missteps i'm giving music a 91 it's a it's an interesting blend of genres right the the times that you're just not expecting it to go hip-hop it hits you in the face but it works and that's what's impressive about it to me. Lyrics, I'll be honest, I kicked back and forth between two scores here on lyrics. I think they're really good throughout. I like the message of be yourself, tell the truth, we're united, we're strong. Sometimes you just have to cry. Like this whole album feels on theme. And I think he tells his story very well. 
it's inspired. And I think a lot of the imagery is really good too. Uh, I want to see light up like the city in springtime. I want to do all this and that. And there's just a lot that happens in this album. Lyrically, I was back and forth between an 86 and an 87. I'm giving it an 87. Mm -hmm. Benefit of the doubt for everything else on the album being so stellar. And 86 didn't feel right. It felt too low. Instruments and production. This man can play a piano. It's, It's incredible. It's incredible to watch. It's incredible to listen to. He's such a good instrumentalist. The drums, other than a potential misstep on Show Me The Way For You, I thought the drums were awesome. They kept these songs going the whole time the horns were phenomenal the backup singers were phenomenal i'm giving instruments of production a 90 a 90 90 that's actually a little low i I, from what i was anticipating you to say right there oh that's why i had to double check because i thought maybe you cut out uh on the second digit there no yeah 90 even just a 90 all right you're making me rethink it now but yes for podcast purposes that's where it'll be for now It could change later. Overall vibe, this album was so fun to listen to. It was such a pleasant surprise, and I'm so glad that it won the Grammy. Honestly, I think it deserved the Grammy. I'm giving it a 93 for vibe. Okay. I think, yeah, it's this is a good album. It gets my stamp of good. So, overall, that puts the score at a very respectable 91.1. Okay. And that puts it, that probably puts it top 50. I don't know. Where I, is your top 50 still anything above a 90? It is above a 90. That puts it at number 59. Okay, not quite top 50s. Not quite top 50. However, pretty darn close. And closer than I expected it to be when I had not heard of it until it won the Grammy. That's pretty good, yeah. I'm, I was pretty blown away by this. I'm a fan. I consider me... In the John Batiste fan club. Yep, okay. You want to be president of that one? You're not really president of any clubs. No, I'll leave it for someone else. I, I've got too much on my plate right now. I'll take it. <laughs> sure, <laughs> add it to your collection. I, I did to, yeah, I'll add it to my resume, my spin it resume. All right, what did you think? What's your final take on this album? All right, what did I think? Well, I already gave you my top three. And as you pointed out, I love the top four. Uh track specifically um i think the top four tracks are the top are are the top four i feel like i feel like like those those tracks specifically are what to me signal why this was such a loved album and like why it deserved the grammy right like i felt like the album actually trailed off for me as we got farther down it so you liked the youthful part to talk about how everything switches with boyhood movement adulthood and we go from playful and outward to introspective and adult you really preferred the first half i mean i yeah i think i think as a uh, from a song standpoint yes i do like i said there were some good ones in there um that i talked about right freedom has a really catchy chorus sing is i always like a good ballad uh show me the way had a catchy chorus like his his catchiness and his ability to write a catchy song never dwindled but the, the like you said i guess the themes and the overall vibe of the album dwindled for me after the especially after just how strong those first four are yeah that's fair and i think a lot of of listeners agree with me because those first four songs plus boyhood and freedom have way more spotify plays than any of the other songs so for the most part i think listeners agree with me that those first four are some of the better ones um and but and so those it's interesting like if all the album had been like those first four songs this would have been a high nine for me. Yeah. Ooh, we're talking high nines. But factoring in factoring in the rest of the album, this one's gonna end up with a respectable eight things that are more than whole out of ten. 
Eight more than holes. Whatever is more than whole, this one gets eight of them. Wow. So that's a it's at least sixteen holes. I, 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 squirrels, where are you? <laughs> They're out to lunch. <laughs> oh no. Uh, but for a playlist pick, yeah, I need to know what's going on your your half of the playlist. The two that if I could if I could select both, the two I would have picked are "Cry" and "I Need You." Okay, those were the top two songs I think for me. Good picks, good picks. They're great picks. Um, and the one I've settled with on for for the playlist is "I Need You." Woo! I need you in here, and here's why. Uh, it has my favorite lyric on the album. Yeah. Uh, the, if you was Ginny, I guess I was Forrest. And then the background people say run. Yeah. It's, I love that line. Great pop culture reference. And I think, you know, so as you've said several times, this album won a Grammy, right? One album of the year. It it did. It did. If you haven't picked up on that yet. What, who cares about Grammys, right? Spin it awards are where it's at. Oh, yeah. And so I'm giving John Batiste the best rapper award for this song. Wow. So take notes, Kanye, because John Batiste is the best rapper we've done. His ability to take the contemporary and the new in, in I Need You and blend them together in the way that they do, it, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, it, it, it's, like I said, truly, I think the best, uh, it's the best rap song we've done. It's the best, like, taking of something old and blending it with something new we've done it's 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 great fair and i'm not i'm not saying i disagree with you but i am saying why do you have the power to unilaterally bestow the best spinet rapper award uh are you gonna disagree with me i'm not uh, i don't know yeah yeah you're gonna contest this award you're gonna try to take it back from you're gonna try to take it back from john batiste <laughs> after i've already put it in his hand no that's what i'm saying is why do you have the power to do that because i because i did it and you didn't stop me uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a bad precedent anyway uh yeah so i think that's i think a spin an award is way more prestigious than a grammy so congratulations john batiste you truly won here today on this episode of spin it I agree. I I need you would have been my third pick for the playlist. So I'm happy with that. I like this episode. I like the concept of picking the Grammy album every year and doing an episode on it. If you liked this concept, tell us about it. Let us know. and, And I hope we'll keep doing it. And we'll never do it again. No. Well, no. If you hated it, maybe also let us know. But I really enjoyed it. So if you're looking for more Spin It content, first of all, you can click that follow button wherever you're listening. But also, you can find us on Twitter, at Spin It Pod, on Instagram, at Spin It Pod Official, and on our website, of course, www.spinitpod.com. Next week, we're bringing you another exciting episode with a twist. Would you care to tell everyone what that twist is? I'm here to turn in my punch card. It is, if I, I got the squirrels to double check the math, I believe it is officially filled up and it, all 19 holes have been punched. It's time for me to do another episode. So it is. Connor's pick is coming at you next week. Yep. And even now I'm thinking about it and what great fun we're going to have. Let me reassure you, audience, it is not Miley Cyrus again. I, I tried. I tried to just do Plastic Hearts round two. It got vetoed. Second, plastic hearts a second time. <laughs> but you can you can find out what it is next week. Uh, there was a hint in this episode. I dropped a hint. Yeah, it's true. A hint was dropped. You'll have to find out next week on another exciting episode of Spin It. We will see you next time. And until then, keep, keep spinning. spinning. All right, let's wrap up this recording. Yeah, I need to go uh, take movement 12. Oh. <laughs>